for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, I'd like to first start by saying today that if you can't tell, I am sick. My kids have started back at school, so we've got that whole passing around the head cold thing. I had it once, and now I have it again. So I'm going to do my best. My dad was kind enough to bring some cough drops this morning so because I got here and realized. And then I had somebody actually pick me up a coffee. I really sound like a diva now. I'm sorry about that. But I, I think as far as my voice goes, I'm going, to, I'm going to get through today. And I can't even begin to express my gratitude and my humility regarding the vote last week. I feel much more at ease today than I did. And... The only thing that I can really say that will make the most sense, I think, to a lot of you is, you know, you you know you have God's confirmation in these moments, and you know the way the Holy Spirit works whenever you know you've made the right decision. But the best way that I can articulate that in like a a non-spiritual way would be to say that I feel like my family is at home. And, you know, so that's um, would be the first thing that I would say. And, and another thing that I will tell you is that we are not going to put a cap on what God can do in this place and what God can do in this community and what God can do in Northeast Tennessee. The work starts today. All right, so for every person that is weak, for every person that has been in dark places, and that's definitely some of you right now, for every person that feels as if they do not have a voice, I have very, very good news for you uh, today. The God that we serve has a historic reputation of rescuing weak people. The God that we serve has a historic reputation of perfect timing. And I'm learning as I get a little bit older as I've had the desire throughout my life, even in my life as a believer, to rush things and to need things on my terms, to need answers on my terms, that it does not work that way in the God story. Today, I I want us to see God's plan in the midst of social and political outcry, what we're talking about in the Shemot, or the exodus, and in the midst of great spiritual need. All right, so last week we discussed exodus as a story of oppression and as a story that will then lead to promise. But today what I want us to see is that this promise is is actualized through the power of rescue. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 2 today. If you want to turn there, if you want to look, look up on the screen, if you want to use your phone, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 2. Now, be real honest. We put it on there on Sunday. How many of you read Exodus chapter 2 this week? Okay. 
oh, we're fading. We're already fading into week two. All right. We check on social media, okay? The weekly readings are always going to be there. Exodus chapter 2 is what you're responsible for. We're not going to read the entire chapter, but we are going to cover the entire chapter. All right, so last week we talked about a story of oppression and promise. Today we're talking about the God of rescue, starting in verse 1. Now, a man from Levi's household married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that the baby was healthy and beautiful, so she hid the baby for three months. When she couldn't hide him any longer, she took a reed basket and sealed it up with black tar. She put the child in the basket and set the basket among the reeds on the riverbank. The baby's older sister, whose name is Miriam, stood watch nearby to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river while her woman, women servants walked alongside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she went out to the servants and told the servants to bring it to her. When she opened it up, she saw the child. The boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. She said, this must be one of the Hebrew children. Then the baby sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Would you like me to go and find the Hebrew woman, or a Hebrew woman, the Hebrew woman, to nurse the child for you, which is going to be the the biological mother? Pharaoh's daughter agreed, yes, do that. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me, and I will pay you for the work. Must be a good deal to get get paid for nursing your own baby. So the woman took the child and nursed it. After the child had grown up, She brought it back to Pharaoh's daughter, and by grown up here, we mean just no longer breastfeeding, okay, not into adulthood. She took the baby back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her son. She named him Moses, and Moses means something, because she said, I pulled him out of the water, okay? We're going to skip a few verses here, but I don't want to miss this. I do want to give you a summary of what we're going to see in the middle of this chapter. As Moses starts to grow into adulthood, we have very little childhood information of Moses, similar to the life of Jesus. We have very little information uh, regarding Jesus. So he sees this as he's an adult. He sees this Egyptian acting abusive toward an Israelite, and he murders him. And he buries this Egyptian. When doing so, others see his actions. And out of fear, he flees to a place called Midian. Okay, Midian is going to be a critical period. Every single believer in their lives, if they are truly following Jesus, need a Midian experience. A Midian place is a place for a pause. A Midian place is a place for deep discernment so that, we have, so that we can understand what we're supposed to do next. Joseph had a Midian. Saul, who is going to become Paul, goes to Tarsus and has a Midian experience. So this is absolutely critical. In this period of time, which is 40 years, you're hoping for like maybe a three to six month Midian experience, is 40 years he's going to marry and he's going to become a father while in exile. He will also develop a special relationship with his father-in-law, Ruul, which we will come to know also as Jethro. All right, so let's skip to verse 23 because that's where we're going to be now. This is finishing up the chapter. A long long time passed, and the Egyptian king died. 
the Israelites were still groaning because of their hard work. They cried out to be rescued from their hard and their hard work. It rose up to God. God heard their cry of grief, and God remembered, as we said was the key to this book last week, his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was the key verse that we really got excited about last week. God looked at the Israelites, and God understood. I spoke with a woman several years ago, and this was very common in the context of our ministry in eastern Kentucky. I spoke with a woman that was in the midst of deep, uh, had been in the midst of deep drug addiction in the past, and she wanted to share her story with me. Now, this woman, whenever you looked at her and whenever you talked to her, you never would have known that she had had the issues that she had had because that's what God does. All right, God will put a smile on a face. God will change the disposition and even the color of a person's face. That's what happens when a person is rescued. At this stage of her life, whenever she was a little bit younger, she had neglected her marriage and she had neglected her son. This is often what we see in active addiction. When she thought she had hit rock bottom, have you ever heard the expression, even rock bottom has a basement? And some of you recognize that because you think my life right now is in an absolutely horrible place. I've got bad news. It can get worse. Sometimes it gets worse. Rock bottom has a basement. I think even the basement has a cellar or something because it seems like things can just get worse and worse and worse. So she's at rock bottom. She's driving one day under the influence, hits another car. And I can't remember, even though this is a really important detail to the story, she either kills the person in the other car or severely injures the person in the other car. I, I can't remember what, which, which one it was. However, when you're in a place that dark and you see something like that happen and you feel the, the guilt, the overwhelming guilt already of not parenting, being there for your family, you've lost your job, all these things going on, and then you have a car wreck that kills another person or injures another person severely, you are at absolute rock bottom. And she told me, this is the way she said it, this is, this is almost a direct quote, in a jail cell full of urine and misery, I cried out to God. And when she cried to God, this nobody, this addict, this sinner, this person full of shame that some people could never get over was fully changed. And she was changed for one reason and because of one thing, rescue. We are going to examine three forms of rescue that we see in this story today. And I know that some of you are in very dark places. And the thing is, none of us would know it. Because on the outside, you, you're like me. You're a very, very good actor. All right, you're good at putting the things behind. And whenever you know that you're going into church, you can definitely hide it. Surely for an hour, I can go without showing these things. But the truth is you need rescue. And there are four, three things of, types of rescue we're going to look at today. And listen, the third type has the ability to change your life forever. Forever. 
Okay, so the first form of rescue that we're going to look at is what we're going to call the rescue of the unwanted. All right, first we're going to look at the rescue of the unwanted. Let me make something very clear about Moses. The society in which Moses was born rejected him before he ever took his first breath. The catalyst for change that God is going to use to mobilize the children of God was an afterthought in the minds of an entire society. Verses 9 and 10. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I'll pay you for your work. So the woman took the child and nursed it. After the child had grown up, she brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who had adopted him as her son. She named him Moses because she said, I pulled him out of the water. A couple of things that are absolutely incredible to me. The first is this. As we just said, Moses was never supposed to happen. In his society, any Hebrew child, as we said last week, just another Hebrew boy was never supposed to happen. And there are times that you look at your life and your existence as insignificant. I don't know much about the Bible. I'm not a good speaker. Neither was Moses. That's why we see Aaron. I've done horrible things. Have you murdered someone? Because Moses had. The central character of this story the protagonist that we are going to be talking about for the next several weeks should have never existed in the eyes of his society. God's story, and you need to pay attention to this, and the cultural narrative that you hear every single day often exist light years apart. They are not the same thing. But when you neglect the way that God's story works, you often neglect what God is wanting to do in and through you. There is not one person that is in this room right now that is significant in the eyes of God. Nobody in here can say, my parents had to give me up and send me down a river and I just happened to be rescued. Speaking of rescue, this is the second thing that just blows my mind away about this rescue of the unwanted. Only God works this way. The daughter of the man that wants to annihilate, exterminate the Israelites, the daughter of the man who wants to do these things, Pharaoh's daughter, ends up being the one that actually saves the Israelites. How about that? The, the man that wants to destroy the Israelites, it's his daughter through saving Moses that is a catalyst in God's story without even knowing it. So this disruptive, evil man one day has a daughter and God knows that the purpose of this daughter's life is to save the people he despises. Only in God's story 
voice is getting rough, sorry. Scholars have often noted that the role of women in Moses' survival is astonishing. It was a woman, Pharaoh's daughter, that found him and raised him. It was a young girl, Miriam, that tries to find the Hebrew woman to nurse the baby. It was a woman, the biological mother of Moses, that nursed Moses to health. There are actually six women, if you include the midwives, that protected and rescued Moses. Women in a patriarchal society. God of the underdog. Again and again and again. All right, so there's this rescue of the unwanted, but then there's also this rescue of the unacceptable that we have to pay attention to. You see, the Israelites, going beyond Moses, Moses' people that he was related to through ethnicity, God's people were viewed as completely unacceptable in Egyptian society. And God gives a voice to the people that do not or should not belong in the story. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel completely unacceptable because of how much you struggle as a parent, because of how much you struggle, whatever it is, maybe from your childhood, your sense of self-esteem or self-worth is completely shot And maybe you even give the impression to other people that you have all of the confidence in the world and that everything is together. But the truth is, at the end of the day, the guilt, the shame, the fear, wherever it comes from, I don't know, you simply feel unacceptable. You're not alone. In fact, if you feel that way, you're often a catalyst for change. It's the people that are overconfident. It's the people that see their own riches and everything that they've done on their own that are actually the people. You see, this is the upside-down kingdom. It works in a different way than the kingdom of the world. Verses 23 through 25, these last few verses that we looked at. A long time passed, and the Egyptians' king died. This is over 40 years, keep in mind. The Israelites were still groaning because of their hard work. They cried out, They cried out, and their cry to be rescued from the hard work rose up to God. Thank you. Coming through. Hopefully that will help just a little bit. So the rescue comes through. God heard their cry of grief, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked at the Israelites, remember this is the verse, and God understood. We discussed this translation last week in the New Revised Standard Version, and then we looked at the literal translation in Hebrew. Let's review, okay? God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. All right, that's the translation that we looked at last week. Now, do you remember the original Hebrew? Here it is, Hebrew, short and simple, God saw the Israelites, God knew. All of the emotional affliction, all of the difficulty, and you know what we do? This is 400 years of groaning. You know what we do after five years? You know what we do after just a few months? 
God can't help me. God doesn't care about me. This God of rescue does not exist. Because if this God of rescue existed, he would have done things on my terms in my timing. And that's just simply not the way that it works. I want you to get this right here because this is very important. We're going to come back to this at the conclusion, but it's life-changing. Please understand this about our God, all right? First, in the context of the Israelites, and then as we close, in the context of our lives. This is the first part. A divine plan, a divine plan that will be worked out has been built around social undesirables that don't even know how to honor God. The only thing they know how to do is complain, like a lot of us. The only thing that they know how to do is complain. But a divine plan has been built around social undesirables, the Israelites, people who don't even understand how to say thank you to God or honor God. For whatever reason, they're central to his story. Number two, even though many of them had given up on rescue, they've said, I'm done, I'm finished, God can't help me. After 400 years, you get a little tired. After 400 years, you get a little frustrated. The plan is still operating on time with faultless precision. It's still operating the same way that it was always supposed to operate. But for the Israelites, it's not quick enough. It's not soon enough. There's too much pain. There's too much difficulty. And the oh-so-famous that we say, God just doesn't understand what I'm going through. Well, God just doesn't care about me anymore. I used to believe that stuff when things were going your way. And now I don't believe that stuff. And then here's the third part. The rescue, which comes every time, will always bring full glory to God and full good to you. And you would have never understood that if he solved your problems in your timing. You would have never understood that with the negative attitude that you had and the complaining that was going on in the wilderness. God can't, God can't, God can't. And if you think you don't know much about the complaining, wait until we get into the, the water and the manna and all these things in the desert that we're going to get to in the coming weeks. You see, you can't do better than this on your own. There is no plan there is no method, there is no thing that you can follow that will do better than this. All right, but this is the last one, all right? And in order to see the last one, we got to go forward in history. So we see the rescue of the unwanted. And we're talking specifically about Hebrew children, but we're even narrowing that down to Moses. We see the rescue of the unacceptable. This is the entire Israelite, Hebrew, Jewish population. Okay, but listen to this one. The rescue of the unworthy. And this, in the 21st century, 
is me and you. Because what the Exodus does and the parallels that are beautiful between this Exodus and the story of Moses. You know, Jesus was often referred to by the Jews as the new Moses. What this does is it gives us the ability in our time to fast forward and look at the parallels between the darkness in the desert and the darkness in our common times and rescue for us. Now, Romans 7.21, as we go to the Christian Testament or the New Testament, Romans 7.21, I am a miserable human being who will deliver me Who will deliver this dead corpse? Have you ever said to yourself, you know, I'm not just having a bad day. Things aren't kind of rough. I didn't just lose my job. I'm literally dead. Just go ahead and kill me. Bury me now. I am dead to everything. Who can save me? Who can rescue me? Who can help me? We have the answer. Colossians 1 13 through 14. He rescued us. He rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. He set us free through the Son and forgave our sins. Do you know what rescue in the context of this passage? In the context of this passage, Rescue means to deliver from danger. Have you ever been in a situation, as most of us parents have, when you're walking and your child almost goes back out into traffic and you have to grab that arm or that hand and you have to pull them back? You don't recognize it sometimes, but this is what Jesus is doing in your life every single day. When your trust is in him, you have no idea what he is actually protecting you from. So when you recognize something is harmful, when you recognize something is bad, you have no idea what bad looks like until you take the step out of his promises. That's what bad actually looks like. And here's the beauty. Here's the beauty in this. I accepted Christ over 20 years ago, and he is still rescuing me every single day day of my life. He has rescued in a moment or two from divorce. He has rescued me from alcoholism. He is rescuing me on a daily basis from the anger sometimes that I have. He rescues me from the temptation that I start to sense myself to fall into. He rescues me from the anger. When I worry about things financially, when I worry about the Uh, stability of people close to me that I care about. He rescues me every single time. And the alternative, the thought of going back into a place where rescue is not available is not even, I can't even think about that. I can't fathom what that looks like. We see this ancient story that we're going to be in for eight more weeks and it's going to get better and better and better. But the early part of this is God hearing a cry, and as we said last week, remembering a promise. That promise extends 
to the person that is in this room right now. And I don't know your darkness. I don't know what your struggles look like. I don't know what's going on in your life. But that rescue extends to you. We've seen God rescue the unwanted. We've seen God rescue the unacceptable. We've seen God rescue the unworthy. The question for you today is, what kind of rescue is it that you need? What is the rescue that you need today? Some of you need rescue in your marriage. You need counseling. You need to talk to somebody. Divorce is not something that you want to go through if it's preventable. You need rescue in your marriage. Some of you need rescue from a particular stronghold in your life that has held you down for far too long. Some of you need uh, rescue from an abusive situation or an abusive relationship that you may be in. Some of you need rescue from yourself because you are your own worst enemy and you need rescue from yourself. Some of you need the original rescue, which is to accept Christ for the first time and then be rescued for the rest of your life. Remember this truth we just discussed in light of the Hebrew people, and now we're going to apply it to our lives. If you need to write some things down, you can write some things down. Here it is again. There is a divine plan for the people of God. There is a plan for your life as an individual. And there is a plan for Believer's Church corporately as the people of God. There is a divine plan that we don't even know what to do with. It's there. Number two, even when you feel like giving up on rescue, God has a plan that works on time with faultless precision. Number three, the rescue, when it happens, will bring full glory to God and work toward, Romans 8, 28, your greater good every time. And this is, this is really what I want to leave you guys with, with everything that we've talked about. It is possible, all right? It is possible to live an extremely difficult life and be at peace at the same time time it's called rescue with all heads bowed this morning and all eyes closed you might be in a place uh, today I, I want to reference this being discussed so there are some of you in here and, and maybe because you made a commitment years ago at a church that you don't even remember and you were too young to really even recognize what was going on Maybe your relationship with Jesus is, maybe you've never really fully experienced that rescue. And you recognize that because of the things that you do every single day and that it's not been manifested in the way that you live your life. So I want to offer the opportunity. I'm going to pray a very simple, very short prayer 
this morning. And what I want to ask you to do, if your heart's beating fast, if you feel like you don't have that original rescue and a relationship with Jesus, I believe the Spirit could be dealing with some individuals that are in this room right now today. And if you're in that place, to yourself, you can simply repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I embrace your rescue for me. And it's my desire to turn everything over to you today. Again, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you simply lift your hand so that we can acknowledge that that was prayed today? Anybody in here, you accepted Christ for the first time. Now, there are others of you that are in here. And this is where your connect card really comes in handy. Because if there's an area of your life, and keep in mind these are confidential. If there's an area of your life that you recognize that you need rescue or you need prayer, I want you to take just a few seconds to take that connect card out. All heads are bowed, all eyes closed. Make sure that you write that down so that your pastor and other leaders in this church can be in prayer for you this week. All heads are bowed and all eyes are closed. In just a second, I'm going to pray, and then the band is going to come back up. But I want you guys to know that if you need to use this altar, this altar is here this morning. I ask that you wear a mask if you come forward to protect others and to protect yourself. But if you need to bring something forward and leave it at the altar today, do not deny what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart right now. Father, we lift you up. We thank you. God, as we look back in history and we take into consideration, Father, that we would not be here if it would have never, if it would have not been for the rescue of the Israelites that will eventually, through the bloodline, follow in to the Son of God. We thank you for what you do. We know that hope is possible and we are going to cling to hope as inevitable because that's what you tell us to do. And when we do that and when we faithfully do that, and when we turn everything over as some hearts and souls need to do today, revival happens in our midst. We lift you up. Amen.